As you can tell, I am not Pastor Dave. He is on a vacation in Minnesota, so if you think of him this week, pray for him as he is out of town. Um, Today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. If you'd like to join me there, Joshua, the ill-forgotten book in between the Pentateuch and the rest of the Bible. The last time I was with you, we looked at chapter 1, so today we're going to try and tackle the majority of chapter 2, which is really just one long story. So, why don't we do this, let's pray together and then we will open God's word. Adrian, would you open us this morning? Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, again, if you'd like to open to Joshua chapter 2. So this morning, we're going to look at a pretty wide... So we're going to basically look at the whole chapter, because the whole chapter is one literary unit. So um, let me try to do this first. I, I wrestled a lot with, like, how do, we, how do we describe Joshua chapter 2? And I thought maybe we could start by just showing you the, uh, the structure of the chapter, and then we can maybe look at the chapter based on its structure. So... The structure of the the chapter begins with verse 1, with the commissioning of Joshua to send men out into the land of Jericho to to spy out the land. And then we'll see in chapter, I'm sorry, verses 2 through 7, they're going to arrive in Jericho, they're going to meet Rahab, and we'll get to all of that. Um, We'll see their protection and all of that. We'll look at that. And then in verses 8 through 14, we see... Uh, Rahab's confession of faith, which is really the main point of the chapter. It's, it's that, that idea that, that she professes God, Yahweh, as the, the God of the universe, and that's what gets her kind of brought into the New Testament. We'll see her in a couple of, of, of texts in the New Testament as well for her faith. And then the uh, verses 15 through 21 is their, is their escape from uh, Jericho, and, and including now the, uh, the protection of Rahab, and then in verses 22 through 24, they return to Joshua and give him a recap. So think of it like a sandwich. So you begin with the commissioning, you end with the return to Joshua. In the, you have uh, the arrival uh, and protection of the spies, the leaving of the spies, the spies and the protection of Rahab, and then right in the middle is this confession of faith. It's the meat of the sandwich is this confession of faith that that Rahab gives. So that's how the author kind of structures it. He, he makes it kind of, it's kind of like a pinwheel or like a, it's like a circle, if you will. It, but, but right in the middle, I'm blurring my metaphors, fours, as you could tell, my, my metaflowers, I'm putting them all together. So um, let us see how all of this works in real time. But that's the structure of it. And so sometimes when you're reading a narrative, if you can try to discern the structure, that can help you understand how the author is trying to make the point. And I think if we, if we see the confession of faith in verses 8 through 14 as the main point of this chapter, it will help us avoid some of the pitfalls that people have gotten into in looking at chapter 2 
of Joshua. So let's start by just looking at it in the way it is structured. So would someone be so kind as to read um, just verse, let's just start with verse 1. Thank you. That's acacia, right? I don't know what that means. Sure. I don't don't I don't get me started on Old Testament geography. I'm not good at like modern geography. <laughs> yes. So chapter That's all right. Well, that's actually where I wanted him to stop. I just want to have to explain how to stop in the in the middle of a verse. So that's okay. perfect. Um, so we see well what do we know about chapter 1? Does anybody remember anything about chapter 1? What does God do in chapter 1 for Joshua? Joshua. Yes, he commissions him. When he says, what, he says things like, um, everywhere you go, everywhere your foot will touch, I will give you that land. No people will stand before you. So he gives these sweeping promises of what he's going to do for them as they enter into the promised land. So my question is, why did, why did Joshua then send spies? Why did Joshua send spies if God promised all of those sweeping promises in chapter 1? For the same reason they sent spies 40 years before, because it was part of what they were supposed to do. Okay. Maybe I'll, I'll, lead, I'll lead the witness and ask a question in a different way. Is God's sovereign plans and promises completely divorced from the means in which we we pursue the tasks given to us? Mm -hmm. No. So that's a yes or no question. That's really helpful, right? So, no. So we have to put together this idea that God gave these promises, these sweeping great promises, but they were promises to go to war, to, to push a people out of a land. So any good military leader would want to know what he's walking into, correct? That's just common sense. That's just common sense, right? The Bible would call it wisdom. So I just want you to see before we get going here that, that the blending of God's plans and God's commands and God's promises are not, they don't stop us from having to take practical steps in our lives. Joshua was a military leader. He was the military leader that was going to lead them into Canaan. And he needed to know what it looked like out there, so he sent some spies. He says, especially Jericho. And this is a little bit trickier of a question, but, but maybe, why, why especially Jericho? Why that town, why does that town get named specifically in chapter 2, or, or, right, or right here when he sends them out? Goes back to that pesky geography I was just talking about. Correct. Yes, it's basically the first major city on the on the, the other side of the Jordan, and it's also we'll see very very well fortified. So uh, double double reason there. But yeah, so um, I told you we're going to do a whole chapter, and we are parking in verse one. So let's keep moving because um, <clears throat> that's how I roll. I do a lot less than I do more. Um, would someone be so kind as to pick it up in the second half of verse one, and then um, how about to? 
verse, uh, verse, so ver- second half of verse 1 through verse 3. Okay, so, minor point, these are the most inept spies I've ever seen. I mean, they didn't even get to the first town, and they're already, they're already caught. So we see that they enter Jericho, we see that um, the king finds out about it very quickly, and sends a message to Rahab, telling her what to do. Um, and then, so would someone pick up in verse 4, and read uh, through verse 7. 4, 5, 6, and 7, please. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark, that the men went out. I do do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in stalks of flocks, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the forest. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Thank you. So, remember when I told you that this, this chapter is a sandwich, right? And there's a certain section that's the meat. Is this the meat of the sandwich? No, it is not, okay? Because we could spend the next 35 minutes discussing, is it wrong to lie? Okay? And that's where a lot of people park when they get to chapter 2. They look at it and they say, okay, Rahab just blatantly lied to the king. Is that morally okay? And, again, we could spend 30 minutes talking about that and not come to any real ethically good answers. But here's the point. This is what I want to teach you about reading narratives. What does the author say morally about what Rahab did in those verses? People are shaking their head. Nothing. So never forget When you read a narrative, if the author does not give you some sort of editorial comment to explain to you whether this was a good or a bad thing, they're just relaying facts. This is what happened. So people will say, well, well, uh, 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 Rahab is like, uh, it's like like Germans trying to hide Jews during the Holocaust and the lying's okay. That's not what we're drawing from chapter 2. We're looking at the fact that a pagan woman lied to her king to protect some Israelites. That's what happened. That, those are the facts of the case. Now, let me just give you my two cents on what I think. God doesn't need her lie to keep them safe. God did not need Rahab to lie to keep those spies safe. Now, she did it. And we're going to come to find out that she's a, a crazy example of of faith, but also we can see here that she's also an example of someone that doesn't fully understand the, the law of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Right? A good Israelite would know the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. It is not right to lie, even to the king, maybe especially to the king. But that's what happened. And we see that they are explaining what happened. 
uh, that Joshua, in his retelling of this chapter, says this is what she did. She basically told them to go take a run, and they ran away, and they, they, they chased them down. But we're going to find out that um, she actually hid them in the roof. Does anybody have any questions on that before we go on? And the question cannot be, so is it right or wrong to lie? I'm not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not getting, I'm not getting sidetracked into that. We can talk about that sometime, but this is not, I think, the, the section of the Bible where we, we, we should really tackle that topic. It's just the retelling of events. And again, I, I want you guys just to remember that as you're reading your narratives, don't draw conclusions that, that the author of the, the text doesn't draw for you. The author of this text is trying to lead us to what it is that she said that was good, right? So she's, she's shown first as, as a woman of the, of the night and as a liar, right? Those are the two things we now know about Rahab. She's a woman, a lady of the night, if you will, right. and a liar. So what comes next? Would someone read verse 8? I really need 8 through 12. It's a little bit of reading, but Mark's up for it. I can always tell, but... <laughs> Mark's good for it. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and to the, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. All right, stop there. I'm sorry. That's good. All right, so there it is. We now have this harlot liar saying amazing things about Israel's God. So, so what are some of the things that she says? Well, well what does she? What, what have they heard about this people uh, that, that gives them so much fear? What are we seeing here? What, what are some of the events that that they heard about here in Jericho? They heard about Egypt and Og and Sihon, and mm-hmm. I mean, they must have known that. I mean, it's obvious they knew that, you know, that Manasseh, half of Manasseh, Gad, and um, Reuben were going to be on that side, and that they had gathered armies. I mean, <laughs> I think the miracles alone that happened in Egypt was probably enough to terrorize them. I mean, they could probably attribute Og and Sihon to just a battle being fought, but that stuff that happened in Egypt, I mean, obviously they were terrified. Right, but but what do we right? What do we but what do we see though? We see what what events did they? So you you mentioned the the beating of the two kings. What else is in there? Parting the Red Sea. Parting of the Red Sea. I mean that that's a pretty pretty big calling card, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, the God you followed just decided to dry up a sea. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, our walls will protect us. Mm. Right. I mean, like I I'm, I'm I'm being a little funny, but I mean just. Try to put yourself in the minds. And, and what we're seeing is, is they're hearing about, about what's going on in this wilderness. And also, so 
think about just the logic of these people were slaves 40 years ago and they're walking through the desert and they're destroying kingdoms. They're drying up rivers, seas, and they're destroying established kingdoms. They're living in tents. This whole generation, they were all slaves. That doesn't seem to track for the people in Jericho, right? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. She's also giving credit to their God. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Using his covenant name. He, yes, Yahweh. Correct, right? So what would that imply for us about where Rahab's heart is at? She chose a side. She did. Well, verse 11. Yep, she chose, and it was not the side of her king. So now, not only is she a liar to her king, she's not loyal to her king, because she's loyal to to Yah. So what would she be giving up by choosing to side with the Israelites? I think the word prostitute and loyal goes together very fine. What is she losing... Ever, what if what if Israel lost? Yeah. What if Israel lost? Well, she'd be executed. So what, what? So 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 she sees she doesn't see something, but she believes it's going to happen. What do we call that? Faith. Yeah. I'm not even sure I would use the word that she chose. Yeah. Well, she believed. Right. Right. And through that belief, James. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Was that, was that her train of thought then? What's that? That she was actually, you know. You're not going to try to drag me. Don't even try to drag it back into the lie thing, Brad. <laughs> no, the, the faith that she was showing. Yeah. Did she know that's kind of. Did she know what? I'm sorry. I guess what I want to know is does she know what she was doing? Literally. I kind of relate it to Christ and, and the woman that wept at his feet kind of thing, you know, with God. That's, that's my. That's my take on her decision, you know, with that kind of same scenario. Or Lydia, because he opened up. <clears throat> she opened up her heart. Okay, mm-hmm. Mark, yeah. Verse 9, it says, I know that the Lord has given this yeah. hand yep. to you. Yep. yep, Good, go to the text. Very good, Mark. Right, yes, right. So she knows, right? So this this opening, so if we use the New Testament imagery of, of, of Acts 16 that says, God opened Lydia's heart so that she would hear these things. Well, it would seem that God opened Rahab's heart when she heard these facts about God, these things about Yahweh, and, and they caused her to believe. Yeah. So much so that in Hebrews 11, yep, yep. she's oh, listed right. amongst those. Yeah. The, she's listed, uh, but I, I think. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Turn over to, turn over to Joshua 6.25. So what's, again, wild about the story of Jericho is they go and spy it out in chapter 2, and then they don't even get back to it until chapter 6. So there's just a lot going on. Great book. I, I kind of stumbled into it. I'm really glad that we're looking at it. I think we're going to do this with the... So we're going to start youth Sunday school next week. So for those of you that are here that are youth-aged, I think this is the book that we're going to continue to tackle. So... Verse 25 of chapter 6. Would someone please read that? Thank you very much. <clears throat> yes. So, 
Not only is she, she, she saved from death, she then rolls into the people of Israel, and then she shows up in, in the genealogy of Jesus, which is in uh, Matthew 1.5. She is referenced in Hebrews 11.31. And does anybody remember where else she is referenced in the New Testament in a major way? Guys, you're embarrassing me. I've preached this book to you. Me. James, James chapter 2. <laughs> if you'd like to turn to James chapter 2, there are two New Te- our Old Testament uh, saints that, that are referenced in this, this discussion of faith and works. One of them is Abraham, but the other one, in case we have forgotten, is Rahab. Would someone read James 2? 25 and 26. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Thank you. So a couple things to tackle here. One, what is, what is meant by was she justified by works? So again, remember, in the New Testament, notice in verse 26, the word for, right? It's a connecting word saying, because she did this for, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. No works, no real faith. You don't earn faith by doing works, but if you have faith, you will do works. If you are not doing the works of the Lord, that puts your faith into question. And notice that what is omitted in verse 25 about Rahab and her story? The lying is omitted, right? What do we see? We see that she was justified by her works, which was receiving the messengers or the spies and sending them out the other way. So again, the New Testament does not affirm the way she spoke to the king, but the New Testament does want to hold her up as what? Someone who is full of faith. Yeah. Um, am I right in, in thinking that not only the people in Jericho, but all of the Canaanites have been uh, called on to repent previously to Israel, showing up and given given opportunities to repent from them even before all this came down? Yeah, they're, so um, you're testing my already. Yes, you're testing my knowledge of the Pentateuch. I yes. think you were the guy that no. I, I, yeah, you would think. Um, <laughs> you would hope. Me sitting here, anyway. Not think. You would hope, but. Yes, there is a, I'll have to do some digging on that, but there is a text that talks about the fullness of time for the Canaanites, for they, they had the opportunity to repent oh, yeah, in turn, yeah, yeah, but yeah, then yeah, they yeah. didn't. And so, so part of the reason why Israel is, is called to go in and purify the land is because Israel is supposed to be God's purified people. They serve one God, that God is, is to be their king, not a man. And so part of the, the package is, this is the land I promised you. There are people in it. I've told them to get out. They didn't. Their time of repentance and time to leave has come, so now they either need to leave or they're going to be pushed out. That's essentially why uh, the, the, the battles of Canaan existed, was because God said, I am long-suffering and I, am, I, I, I want these people to leave. I, I've called them to leave. They didn't, so now we will, we will uh, tackle mm-hmm. getting them out. Well, yeah, they would have had Abraham, Jacob, 
Uh, Isaac and Jacob. Like, what? Well, and, and obviously they're hearing about the freight train that's coming, right. and they don't seem to be too concerned about about moving on. So that would be part of it. Now, um, anything else that we can see about this profession of faith, I would call it, in Joshua chapter 2? kind of reminds me of Exodus when God says that he's going to glorify his name amongst all the nations mm. that everyone would hear about him. Mm-hmm. It seems true. Right. We have a real example of that coming coming to pass, don't we? I think, too, that even though uh, in the <coughs> So that would be, I think, maybe to Tom's point, like what's the difference between the, I mean, so it sounds like everybody's hearing these stories of the steamroller in the wilderness coming through, this hurricane tornado that's about to take them down, and some pe- everybody's hearts are melting, but really it's, it would seem only one, one person had the response that, that we would want to have, to have them all have. Yeah? Um, and it makes me think back to verse 1, you know, and it's like easy to look over. It's like, well, where did you come to this faith? But it says, um, they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and lodged there. So if they lodged there, you know he was probably telling her about God. Do you, do you think that, a, that, a, that a, a spy from the wilderness was an evangelist? They're anointed. I mean, no. I, I don't want to go. I mean, let me just be clear. Like, we don't know what was said there. Yeah, true, right? So true, I don't want to say that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think... Israel has a pretty long history of saying we're the best and you guys are all the worst. So I'm not super confident that the town that they were spying out to destroy, that mm-hmm. they're in there speaking the things of God, which is why I think it makes Rahab's profession that much more glorious. Okay. And sinners. There's no mystery. There's no, I mean, they don't admit what her profession is. Well, all the women mentioned in, in Jesus' genealogy, every single one of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the founder, like, David, David did some dirty things, Moses did dirty things, Abraham did dirty things, and the same is, like she was saying, it's not, it's about the heart, you know. She. She has a good heart, but she's caught up in some things. You know, possibly that's what that's about. Well, she does not have a good heart. She has a sinner's heart like the rest of us. The Lord opened her eyes to the truth of the gospel, or the truth of the gospel as she knew it. So, I mean, so I mean, she is a sinner, right? Her profession is sinful. The way she speaks to the king is sinning, but the Lord saved her from physical destruction and to repentance. Yeah. So justification, both Old Testament and New Testament, is by faith. Yeah. By grace through faith. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8, that it is a gift of God as, as applicable in the Old Testament as mm-hmm. it is in the New. So her faith was given as a gift mm-hmm. by God. And, and, and I don't want to push this point too hard, but I do at least want to make it. She heard truths about God and she responded in faith. 
Is that not what we do when we speak truths about Christ to the unbelieving, and then they are saved by faith? Again, so if, if you want to say that the Old Testament saint was saved by law-keeping, obviously not, because she's already breaking the Seventh Commandment right when we meet her. Well, the Eighth, too, she's breaking all of them, right? But, but she hears truths about God, and she puts her faith in the truths that she hears about God. That is the gospel. That is what we are called to do today. Give the truth of God through Christ to the nations, and those who hear it and repent are saved. So, yeah, I mean, Paul wasn't crazy in Romans 4 when he said it's always been about faith. Here's a great example. Paul is a good example because, I mean, he's on, he's on the road um, and is struck by God. I mean, at this point, he's, he's headed to kill Christians. His heart is dark. Right. He's focused on the law, and he meets Jesus. And all that he has heard, he's heard these truths about the Messiah. He's heard that people proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he meets him, and he believes. Yep. And that, I believe that happened in a you know, pretty quick fashion on, yeah. on that road. Amen. Well, well, let's uh, let's let's get the bottom half of this sandwich finished off here. Huh? Um, so we see in uh, verses twelve and beyond that we look at um, what she asks of these of these spies. Would uh, someone please read twelve, thirteen, and fourteen? Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters, with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Right. So, covenanting together, right? So she... She professes these truths about God, these great truths about God, and then she asks them to deal kindly with her, and then her whole family. So then let's look at um, 15, 16, 17, let's go to there, 15, 16, and 17. Then she let them down by a rope through the window where her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, we we shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear. Right, okay. I probably should have stopped at 16. That's, thank you. 17 kind of rolls into 18. But So we see that she gives them more information. What, what is she telling them now that she is letting them down the window of her house outside of the city? What other act of treason is she giving these spies? Troop move, yes. 
she knows how they're going to go out and come back, right? <coughs> going to the hills, hide there for three days, because she knew that they would be out for three days. So her, her allegiance is pretty clearly to Israel at this point. She's lied to the king, she's professed God, and now she is giving them not only the means of escape, but the means to stay escaped. To not get caught on the back end. So, I mean, she is acting in faith, is she not? She, I mean, she is decidedly on the side of the Israelites. There is no, I mean, so again, if you're reading a narrative, like we're really starting to see that the author's trying to tell us there was no mixed allegiance in Rahab. It was all in for all of Yahweh or bust. So much so that she's even going to try to protect them after they're out of her house. So they're out, and they're, they're on the run. And she said this, and then they go on to say, verse 17, um, we will be guiltless with respect to our oath, uh, because they're going to they're gonna tell her what to do so that they, they can protect the home. So would someone read 18, 19? It's 18 and 19 to start would be great. When we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. Thank you. So... In my desire to keep you guys from chasing red herrings in your Bible study. <laughs> Scarlet cord. Red cord. Don't go down that road. Like, oh, there's salvation through a red thing. That's what? People think that that's like a, a precursor to the cross. They were saved by a scarlet red cord. Don't go down these roads, people. I, I went first, and I saw them, and it was a dead end. You'll have to turn it all around. So don't fall for that stuff, okay? It's just a marker... To tell this people, the, the Israelites, who to, who to protect in, when they come through and take Jericho. So just don't even, see, none of you were even thinking that, and that's why I'm so proud of all of you. <laughs> you guys don't fall for that stuff. You know, I'm you guys don't fall for the pump fake, you stay blue. on it. I respect it. But I'm telling you, it's out there. If I found it, you could find it. So I want you to know, that's not a thing. But we do see that there is some act of obedience that is required, which I've already given it away, it's, it's the tying of this scarlet cord in the window. So maybe we, won't, we don't want to go and say that it's some sort of precursor to the cross or something weird like that, but it is a tangible act of obedience that she is to do to, to save her family from the impending danger. So again, I think this is partly why Rahab is a good example of faith and works in James 2. Is they, they gave her a task to do, keep your mouth shut and tie this cord in the window. She did both. She was obedient to, to what she was called to do. So we see that Rahab is this fully orbed picture of, of faith in, in, in Joshua chapter 2. Yeah. Also, she had to share her faith with her family. True. To convince them to come into yeah. where she's living. Don't pick up the spear, otherwise you're toast. <laughs> Stay home. Which would be right. I mean, again, you could 
think deeply about their whole family needs to change their allegiance. That's a, that's yeah, it's nothing to nothing to gloss over, right? But she's thinking of her family, she cares for her family, and she 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 has this act of obedience. And we saw already in Joshua chapter six, verse twenty-five, that that her whole house, her whole father's household came along. So they they got the message and they were in the home and they were they were brought out safely. I'm not. We're just bro. There's no. There's no mention of water in Jeremiah or Joshua too. That was a household. That was a knock on. It's a long story. No, I don't even. Lies and baptism are two things I'm not tackling today. But thanks for asking. Um, so here we are. Um, verse twenty and twenty one says, um, "But if you tell this business of ours, then we." shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And it's also implied that, that uh, she also did not tell their business to anyone. And we see that because in verses 22 through 24, they do make it back safely to Joshua. Would someone please read the, the end of the chapter, 22 through 24, please. to make sure we catch in these last few verses. One, verse 22, uh, it, it came, to, so she was right, right? Her, her scouting report was good, and they came back after three days and didn't find them. But then we see in verse 23 and 24 that they return to Joshua, and what do they do when they get back to Joshua? What do they tell him? What's that? I'm sorry? they say specifically in verse 24? Gave all the land into our hands, right? Who was one of only two spies to say that little gem 40 years ago? Joshua. Joshua. Notice that Joshua isn't saying it here. They're saying it to Joshua. So one of only two men on earth at that point who saw the exodus, Joshua and Caleb, and was there and was a spy the first time around and gave that message, is now hearing that message from the two spies he sent out 40 years later. Isn't that interesting? See how the Lord has, has changed the, the hearts and minds of, of these spies. You know, 40 years ago, you couldn't get 12 guys to agree on anything. <laughs> and here, 40 years later, we got these two guys that went out and said, we're... we're the land is in, they've given the land into our hands. So mission accomplished, right? The spies went out and, and surveyed the land, saw Jericho, and they came back with a good report. Instead of the report that came out 40 years ago when they all other, everyone other than Joshua and Caleb said, the walls are high, the people are big, hard pass, let's mm-hmm. go back to Egypt. Maybe that's why he only sent two instead of 
I don't know. But again, notice just the the author of Joshua, Joshua, assumes that you have trafficked in the first five books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you know the story of the Exodus. You know. So all this stuff is full of meaning. It means something that these two spies said to Joshua what they said. Right? We're seeing faith is rising up. God's work and plan is rising up in the people. And something that was such a difficult task 40 years ago by the 12 spies is now resoundingly seconded by the two spies in Joshua chapter 2. And again, here's another thing to think about. Joshua wrote the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 does not involve Joshua at all. He's there at the beginning and the end. So the guy that wrote the book thought it was a good enough story, a good enough retelling of the, of the historical events to include it in the book of Joshua. Because remember, Joshua is, is a historical book, but it's a theologically historical book. All of your, your books that are stories are not written necessarily for complete historical accuracy, even though they are accurate. Their primary purpose is to teach you theological truths based on storytelling. So Joshua chapter 2 is the telling of faith coming to the nations through stories. And Joshua felt it was important enough for you to know it that he inserted it even though he wasn't even there. He gives you in chapter 1 his commissioning and then his commissioning of the people. Then we'll see the the people of Israel crossing from the Jordan and Joshua's there from chapter 3 through 24. And he's all the way there in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he's not there. But again, because the whole point of Joshua in his writing is to tell theological truths to the people that would hear it, he's saying, this needs to be known. This, this needs to be known. And I need you to hear it. And so again, it's not just a, a fun story, even though it is. It'd make a great movie, right? I mean, just all of the elements of a great, of a great story are there. Right? Protagonist, antagonist. Crazy stuff happening. A twist in there. Who would have thought that the lying prostitute is the one that professes faith? I mean, great story. But a theological story at its root. A story that we need to know. So, any other questions, thoughts? I've been doing all the talking today. Anybody got they want to throw out there on Joshua chapter 2? Good job for not coming back to line. I thought I thought that was that was your shot. You could have got in there and said, "Well, what about line?" Yeah. I guess since there's a point else here. Sure. Um, and, I mean, it's probably pretty obvious on its face anyway, but it would appear that uh, as part of her faith, Rahab repented from her her profession. I would assume since the Israelites let her stay with them, I imagine they wouldn't let her stay and practice her profession there, and she became. I think so, because I think when you get, so you see in, in Joshua 6.25 that, that her father's household, so that would imply that she, so she's not married, so she, she's part of her father's household, but then when she shows up in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, mm-hmm. she, she is the mother, which would imply, um, I, I, would, I would take it to imply that she was married, or she, she, she had a child, and, and that child was actually 
Boaz. Salmon? Was Boaz. Was Boaz. it Salmon, her husband? Sure. I thought that was in the <laughs> No, I thought it was in geology that she had. Oh, maybe like in, in, uh, in uh, uh, First uh, Chronicles? Is that where it's at? I know that, that Salmon was mentioned, Salmon was mentioned, although there's a generation yeah. skip. It's my favorite fish. I get it. <laughs> so... So it would, I, I do think that I think there's something there, Bob. And then again, yeah. So she does, she does fold in, and, and I do believe. I mean, again, she's included in, in the the hall of the hall of fame of faith, so to speak. James two, and then also um, in the genealogy of Jesus. So I do think that there was some lasting change there. Yes. To enlighten her um, profession, you know, the Bible does say that prostitution is the deepest pit, and I would have to say it's because of uh, this is opinion based, like on your opinion on. Uh, you know, a specific part of what you're talking about, but it's the money and, and, and the infidelity part is what, so she's sick. So if you just, well, her perspective, she's a sick person, she's making bad decisions, and just like everybody's out there on drugs or, or robbing people or, or, they're, or they're crooked in their business or whatever, everybody in their own sense is, has a sinful nature, but some are sicker than others in their sinful nature, if I could put that out there about her profession, so. Well, it's hard to say because it doesn't say anything about right. that. I mean, the story says that they. I think the the point of the story is to tell us what a profession, what what she did for a living, right. mm-hmm. and it doesn't say anything that she was more or less, whatever. Um, right. And actually, you know, there's there's some commentators that would talk about there were different types of prostitutes, yes. but again, that's not means nothing to to the, the truth of, of the scripture. It just doesn't doesn't matter. So obviously, it didn't bother her family because they all lived together with her. Again, conjecture. Well, at this point. We don't know. Behavior. Again, we don't. We don't know. We don't know what. Um, it's providing the house. Yeah, what are you do? Isn't it kind of? Isn't that the only record anyway that we have of uh, Canaanites being saved by faith? And we had we had other groups of Canaanites that were spared that were spared against God's command. But when you say Gibeonites, I'm thinking Gibeonites. They were they were in the land of Canaan. They they were the ones that. They show up in chapter six. Yep. Where they show up I mean, with, did, with moldy did they bread. Repent and have faith, or were they just allowed to? Well, that because it was expedient, or whatever. that that's debatable. I think um, I, I do think that there's some. Well, now you're going to test me here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Eventually, you become. You know, like, like I'm not. You know, you think yeah. I'm good on the fly. I'm not. So. Um, I mean, eventually, it comes to faith. But you know, some funny. of these that they spared became snares. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And I think the Gibeonites do eventually become a snare. But yeah, that's... Uh, I'm going to have to do some digging for you guys there on that because I don't have the answer. I want to say... Well, I don't want to say because I would be making a guess. Gibeonites returned after the 70 year. There's a group of them that returned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So they obviously had faith. Yeah. And they were probably Jews at that point anyway. Right. Well, what's interesting about the Gibeonites is they deceive them in chapter nine, and then God does this this great this great act when when Israel has to go and, and save Gibeon from being attacked. Right. God causes the sun to stand still, which again I think is a great picture of God's mercy. You have this people that that lied to the Israelites. The Israelites make a covenant with them without asking the Lord, and then that people they covenant with, they now have to go save them in a battle, and God uses this supernatural miracle to stand. The sun still uh, right. until they destroy the people. So even in that, God God shows His mercy. 
I mean, God is a merciful God. He says, you blew it. You made a covenant with these people you weren't supposed to. Now they're in trouble. You're staying good to your word, and so I'm going to make the sun stand still and protect, protect and help you route out this, this, and protect the Gibeonites who lied to you. So God saves sinners of all kinds, and it's just, this is life, man. It's right. messy. It's you messy, and there aren't good categories. Yeah. You saved the Gibeonites a couple of hundred. Well, no, what's it? Yeah, about a couple of hundred years later. I think you have proven today, John, you know your Old Testament better than I do. So It's not why I say that. It hurts my feelings. I'm bad at it. Oh, I should know the answers. I'm embarrassed. I don't. I'm embarrassed. You've embarrassed me. I'm just kidding. It's cool. That's cool. All right. We're about out of time. Any other questions, thoughts, concerns? Don't worry about lying. Just kidding. Don't lie. Um, no? Speak now for older pieces. Because I don't know when I'm coming back. Pastor Dave's a workhorse, so I'm going to tell you. Might not ever see me again, I'll be honest. If he's listening, I might not get to come. <laughs> Do it on purpose. That's right, that's right. Hey, Rodney, would you close us in prayer today as we, as we finish her up? Thank you. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for this, uh, this word and encouragement and ask that you would uh, grow us through your Holy Spirit and champions of faith. And we pray about today that we would truly believe and act on that belief. Um, work that in our hearts and each one here and uh, be with Brett as he brings us a message here later this morning and uh, speak through him to us that we may uh, strengthen ourselves for the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.